Welcome back to our series that we are doing in the book of Acts called To the End of the Earth. And I am so excited about this series. And uh, I've never really preached through the book of Acts. And so I've studied a lot of it and spoken out of passages of it. But this is the first time I've worked through it. And so I'm very excited about what I'm going to learn personally. And I hope you're excited about what you're going to learn as well. And I want to begin this message by telling you that I have always loved reading about superheroes, always, ever since I was a little kid. It was just a world that I would enter in my mind. I still enjoy reading about superheroes and watching movies about superheroes. And the best part of a superhero story to me is their origin story. And my all-time favorite superhero, and when I was thinking about this, by the way, as I was preparing this message, I'm thinking about Bruce Banner and Gamma Rays and becoming the Incredible Hulk. I'm thinking about the Fantastic Four and Cosmic Rays and each of them gaining superhero powers. But the one that really sticks out, it always has stuck out to me. My favorite superhero ever is Peter Parker. And Peter Parker was a science nerd that went on a science field trip and was bitten by a radioactive spider and gained the powers, superhuman powers of the spider. I have just always loved that story. Peter Parker, to me, is one of the most real-life, touchable, normal human beings that's ever been in a comic book, and I just absolutely enjoy that. But today in our series, in the end, To the End of the Earth, we're going to see the origin story for a group of very ordinary people whose supernaturally enabled ministry changed the entire world. Now, I hope I've got your attention. I hope you have your Bible with you. If you don't, can you pause right now? Go get your Bible, come on back, open it up to Acts chapter 2, super easy to find, it's the fifth book of the New Testament, and I want you to really be in the story with me, be in the the passage with me, because I'm going to show you some very specific phrases and words, and we're going to look at them together. The events of these of this origin story, the event takes place on a very little understood Jewish holiday called Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks. It had a couple names. And it's when Jews, now you got to hear this, from all over the world, Jews from all over the world would gather in Jerusalem for this week-long festival, a week-long festival. Pentecost means 50th. Think of the number 5050. That's what Pentecost means. And it occurs 50 days after the feast or the festival of first fruits. So let me give you a brief timeline. You've got the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that's an eight day festival. And in that festival is Passover. And three day, or two days after Passover, is the first fruits festival. 50 days after first fruits is Pentecost. Now here's what you really need to know. First fruits 
was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So let me say that again because I want to correct something I just said. There is Passover, three days, not two, three days after Passover is first fruits. 50 days after first fruits is Pentecost. So here we go. We've got the risen Savior that rose from the grave on the festival of first fruits. And 50 days later, here comes the day of Pentecost. It's the origin story of these apostles and these disciples. Now I want to tell you a little bit more about that, those 50 days. 40 of them, Jesus spent with his disciples, eating, sitting, talking, teaching them. And then he ascended back to his father. And 10 days after Jesus returned to the father was the day of Pentecost. And we're going to look at what happened on that day. But you need to know a little bit more about the festival of Pentecost. By the days of Jesus Christ, first century Israel, Pentecost had become a celebration of two things. One was the celebration of the giving of the law of God through Moses. You remember the story back in Exodus when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with those tablets and he taught Israel and gave Israel the law of God that Moses was taught from God up on Mount Sinai. So Pentecost was a celebration of the giving of the law of Moses to Israel. But secondly, Pentecost was a celebration of thanksgiving for the grain harvest. Now listen, they're an agrarian society, meaning they're an agricultural society. All of their economy rested on their crops growing. So when the harvest of grain came in, that was food for them. And they had a festival, and Pentecost was a celebration that the grain had come in, and the harvest was there, and they had food again for the year. How great God is to provide for his people. And it's a heavily attended festival it's, uh, it's got Jewish people and it's got Gentile people that have been converted into the religion of the Jews, into Judaism. And they come from all over the world, thousands and thousands of people to celebrate. So I want, in your mind's eye, for you to imagine Jerusalem absolutely overflowing, so full that people are camping out on the Mount of Olives at night because there's no more room in Jerusalem. That's what Pentecost was like. In fact, it was so well attended because it really took place in about June when the roads were at their best. You get all of those rainy seasons, and there's two of them in Israel. You get those rainy seasons and those roads washed out. They had them repaired, and they had them able to be traveled by the day of Pentecost. So we've got people all from around the world gathered to celebrate the giving of the law and the harvest of the grain. And look at chapter 2, verse 1, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Let's all get into it together. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, now get that urgency, there's a reason that word is there. Suddenly, without warning it means, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. I would underline like. And then 
underline another word uh, in the next verse, as of. These are, this is not a literal wind. Their hair is not blowing. Their clothes are not being ruffled by the wind. It is the sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Acts chapter 1, verse 15, if you want to flip back one page, can you look at that? Because it says that there were about 120 believers all gathered in this large upper room of a home. And this home is just outside of the temple. And the temple is filled with worshipers from all around the world. And suddenly there came into that house a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind. Not a literal, not a physical wind, but the sound of a mighty rushing wind filled the house. Now here's one thing you're going to want to know. In the Greek and the Hebrew, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the New Testament mainly written in Greek with a little bit of Aramaic. In both Greek and Hebrew, and very interestingly, Latin, the word for spirit was also the word that they used for wind or breath. And what we have here is the Spirit of God. We have here the breath of God, the Holy Spirit. And he is about to breathe supernatural life into these believers. But look at verse 3. There's something else that's going to happen. Divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Not literal fire. But tongues as of fire came down unto all the believers in that house. Now fire in the Bible was often a symbol of God's purifying presence. His purifying presence. You see, he is holy. He is other than us. He is beyond us. He is absolutely undefiled by sin. And when God prepares his people to be in fellowship with him, he purifies them. This fire, this purifying presence of God was about to set their hearts aflame. And he's going to set them aflame with power. And being in the form of tongues, did you catch that in verse 3? As of fire, divided tongues, as of fire. It means it's a symbol. It's going to give them the Spirit of God. He is going to give them the power to speak of Jesus, to witness of Jesus. Now let's just stop for a moment. Because this is really important and you're going to hear this all throughout this series. You already have been hearing this if you've been listening to the first few messages in this series. The power of the Spirit of God, while it does a lot of things, and we're going to talk about them as we go through, and I'm going to mention some of them today. While the Spirit of God does a lot of things, primarily what the Spirit of God gives is the power to witness of Jesus. This is exactly what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power... Luke 24, clothed with power from on high so that you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the, to the end of the earth. 
to be my witnesses. You know, a terrible saying came into popularity a few decades ago, and it, and it goes like this, and I'm sure you've heard of it. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Friends, that's a terrible saying. Because using words is necessary. Romans 10 tells us, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? You see, faith comes from hearing, Romans says. That is, hearing the good news about Christ. We must speak and people must hear if faith is going to be ignited to salvation within their hearts. Friends, it is necessary to speak the good news of Jesus Christ. It's necessary to do more than just live it out as salt and light. There must be words, and those words are supernaturally living and active. They are the words of the Bible, of the Scripture, and it brings dead hearts alive. See, Christian, the Holy Spirit provides for us, just as Jesus said in Acts 1-8, the power to witness of him. The wind, the Spirit breathes supernatural life. The purifying presence of God comes into them and it enables and empowers them to speak and to witness of Jesus Christ. On that day, the day of Pentecost, in that room... The promise that Jesus gave was fulfilled that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's what he promised in Acts chapter 1. Look at verses 4 and 5. And while Christians today, now I want you to hear this, while Christians today experience the baptism of the Holy, of the Holy Spirit, it is very different than these early believers. This was a group of 120 Old Testament believers. They were believers under the Old Covenant. We call the Old Covenant the Old Testament, the New Covenant the New Testament. This was a group of 120 Old Covenant, Old Testament believers who did not have the Spirit of God dwelling in them. Now somebody's going to say, well, wait a minute. In that same upper room at the Passover, did not Jesus in John 20, verse 22, breathe on them and tell them to receive the Spirit? Friends, that was a prophetic utterance. He was preparing them for what was to come in just 50 or so days. They were saints. 120 of them, about 120 were saints under the old covenant. And the Spirit of God operated differently then. You know, many years ago, I was ordained in the Evangelical Free Church of America. That's our denomination. And, and that's a very rigorous process. And one of the questions asked of me by this panel, this council of pastors and theologians, was to explain the difference between how the Holy Spirit operated in the Old Testament to how he operated in the New Testament. How he operated under the Old Covenant 
and how he operates under the new covenant. And I completely bombed that question, which made me study this a lot more closely. You see, the Spirit of God under the Old Covenant, the Spirit of God in the Old Testament, would come down on or sometimes come down into Old Testament saints. But listen, he did not stay. Did you hear that? He would come down and he would empower them to do the work that God was asking them to do, commanding them to do, but he did not stay. This is why David asked of God in Psalm 51... Take not your Holy Spirit from me. That was the norm. The the Spirit of God would come. The Spirit of God would give you the power to speak or to do in Samson's case. To have the power physically to do what God wanted him to do. And then the Spirit would depart. But in the New Covenant, the Spirit of God baptizes a person at salvation. And dwells permanently in that person. Empowering that person to victory over sin. Victory over Satan. Victory over this world system. To do the work of God by giving each believer supernatural abilities called spiritual gifts. This is how the the Spirit of God works in the New Covenant. And the new covenant was ushered in on the day of Pentecost, inaugurated by the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to really hear that because it was necessary for Jesus to die and to be resurrected and to ascend back to the Father before the Spirit of God would come. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 7. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive in the future. For as yet, for to this point, the Spirit had not been given. Why? Because Jesus was not yet glorified he had not yet ascended back to the father to sit at his right hand and again jesus says in john chapter 16 to his disciples it's to your advantage that i go away for if i do not go away the helper will not come to you but if i go i will send him to you do you see what jesus is saying i've got to leave I'm going to die, I'm going to be resurrected to life, I'm going to ascend back to the Father, then I will give you the Spirit, then the Helper will come. Now friends, I want you to understand this, the first century believers, 120 of them in this room, stood between the old covenant and the new covenant. And for us today, we stand fully in the new covenant there is no period of time between salvation and being baptized with the spirit it happens simultaneously and permanently as the spirit of god dwells within his people now i've got pentecostal friends and my pentecostal friends teach about a second baptism or the third work of the spirit 
And I'm going to tell you right now, they get that from Acts chapter 2, but they misunderstand that these were Old Testament believers. They are not where we are today. We are New Covenant believers. And when you are saved, you are simultaneously baptized with the Holy Spirit. Sealed permanently, the Spirit of God dwelling in you. But I want you to notice what happened to these Spirit-baptized believers. Look at verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So there is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And now we're seeing a different phrase. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's not a one-time event. Now that might actually surprise you. But let me show you what I mean. Peter was there in chapter 2 verse 4. He was filled with the Spirit. But just flip your Bible forward two pages. Look at chapter 4 verse 8. He was again filled with the Spirit. Look at the end of chapter 4, verse 31. He is again filled with the Spirit. All of the apostles, all 12 of them, were in that upper room on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God baptized them. They were among the 120. But notice what happens later in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So they were filled with the Spirit, chapter 2, verse 4. They're again filled with the Spirit, chapter 4, verse 31. And what we need to understand is this. While the baptism of the Spirit, which happens at the moment of salvation, is a one-time action that God does for us, The filling of the Spirit is a command for us that requires continuous action. Now you might be a little bit confused with that, so let me show you as clearly as I know how. This is Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18, and Paul commands us. He says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Now hear this, but be filled with the Spirit. He's speaking to believers... And he commands them to be filled with the Spirit, but the word filled is in a Greek grammatical tense that means continuously. So really what he's saying is this, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be continually filled with the Spirit. We are filled with the Spirit as we day by day draw closer to Jesus and obey him, even in the smallest area of our lives. Now let's just think on that for a moment. Reflect with me for a moment. Are you obeying God even in the details of your lives? I'm not talking about the big ones. I'm talking about even the little ones. Even the little areas. That the world would say are inconsequential. That the world doesn't even think about anymore. Are you obeying God even down to the smallest areas of your life? If you want to be filled with the Spirit, then there needs to be a drawing closer to Jesus. A loving Jesus. A desiring Jesus more and more. And obeying Him even in the smallest area of our lives. And if we are to be continuously filled with the Spirit, then we must continue to empty ourselves by confessing sin 
regularly, dying to our selfishness, dying to our self-oriented living. And that, my friends, is incredibly difficult. And yet it is really what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, that we must pick up our cross and deny ourselves daily and follow him. Friends, I want to say it this way. There's no way, it is utterly impossible that you could be filled with the Spirit continuously and not following Jesus in obedience and love and desire and fellowship and closeness. You see, it's not like a glass being filled with the Spirit. It's not like having a glass that is full of water all the way up to the rim that cannot receive any more liquid. It's like a balloon that is full of air. But when you blow more air in it, it expands even more. Do you see the difference between the two of them? That's what it's like being continuously filled with the Spirit. Today I'm walking with Jesus. Today I am learning to confess my sins. Today I'm learning to, to deny myself. And the Spirit of God is going to give me power. He's going to give me opportunities to witness of Jesus, to be used by Jesus for the mission to the end of the earth, getting the gospel to the end of the earth. But in a year, as I'm walking closer with Jesus, the Spirit of God expands himself in me and gives me greater power and greater ability to be able to preach or to be able to explain the gospel, to be able to talk to people that I don't know, to have more boldness, to have more fervor than I did a year ago. You see, we're like balloons, and the more the Spirit of God blows into us, the more power we will have. And as we continuously walk with the Spirit, that power is ours in greater measure. Look at the power of the Spirit in verse 4, and it's seen in these Spirit-filled believers. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. One of the most misunderstood parts of Acts, I think. What were these other tongues? Were they a heavenly language, as some think, that were unintelligible only to the one that maybe had the power to interpret it or the one that was speaking it? That's not what they were, and the text makes it clear. The other tongues were earthly languages, and they were represented in the thousands of Jews and Gentile converts that had gathered in Jerusalem for Pentecost from all over the world. In fact, look at verse 6. You know that. It makes it clear. They were bewildered, this multitude, because each of these disciples, or each one of them, was hearing the disciples speak in his own language, and they were amazed and astonished. So the Spirit of God it gives them the supernatural ability to speak other languages that they had never even studied. And just as interesting in verse 4 is the word utterance. Look at that because some of you are going to be so encouraged by this. It means loud and clear speech. That's what the word utterance means in the Greek. And not only were these spirit-filled believers suddenly empowered 
to speak other languages that they had not studied, had not learned. They spoke these languages with confidence and clarity and eloquence and effectiveness. And the multitude gathered around them exclaimed, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Now what on earth does that mean? Well, it's because of this, all of Israel was gathered into two groups of Jews. You've got those up north, and they're the Galilean Jews, and you've got those in the southern part of Israel, those are the Judean Jews. And the Judean Jews viewed the Galilean Jews as uneducated, uncouth, street-speaking Jews. And they had this reputation And so all of this multitude are hearing all of these Galileans speak. They could not pronounce some of the vowels very clearly. So it was easy to hear when a Galilean Jew is speaking. And they're going, wait a minute. How are these uneducated, uncouth, backwater Galileans speaking all of these different languages? And these languages are listed in the passage. It's because the Spirit of God had filled them and given them supernatural power. This is their origin story. And it's a preview of what all Christians are going to hear in heaven. Did you know that, brother and sister? Now, when you are in heaven for eternity, you're going to hear languages that you have never spoken and languages that you have never even heard before being spoken in heaven. And you will understand them. And they, were, and they sang a new song, Revelation 5, saying, Worthy are you, are, are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from every tribe and language and people and nation. And later in Revelation, you're going to hear this great throng of people worshiping God, and they're going to be speaking all of these languages. And what were the disciples on the day of Pentecost being heard by this great multitude actually saying in these languages? We're told what they were saying in verse 11. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Do you see that again? Friends, I'm going to say this so many times. You're going to get this, and you're going to get this, and you're going to get this. The power of the Spirit of God is primarily aiming to give you the supernatural ability to testify and witness of what God has done. That's what he's doing. They were witnessing. They were testifying of the works of God. And this is the primary aim of the Spirit. That we would be given the power to witness of Jesus Christ to the end of the earth. Christian, are you tired? Are you tired of lacking the power to witness well of Jesus Christ? Are you tired of lacking the boldness to tell people about Jesus Christ? It's the aim of the Spirit to supply all of us Christians with all that we need to do all that Jesus has asked us to do. And we read in Luke's Gospel... That after Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, remember he was in the wilderness and he was tempted at the end of those 40 days by Satan himself. 
After that was over, it says this, and this is so important. I would underline it in your Bibles. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. He returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Christian brother and sister, do you know what that means? This is so encouraging. The same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus to empower him to do all that the Father asked him to do is in you. He is in me. And he is giving all that we need to do all that God is going to ask us to do. So if you lack the power of the Holy Spirit to boldly and clearly testify of Jesus, then I'm going to tell you, look inward. Like David did in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts, and see if there is any grievous way in me. See if there is any sin in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If God shows you sin, even the smallest sin that you have yet to repent from, then confess it as David did in Psalm 51. Otherwise, you are like a balloon only partially inflated, lacking the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Let me invite you to consider, even right now, examining your life. And if there is sin that you have not yet repented of, I'm going to tell you what I have had to do in my life and what I've, I've seen hundreds of people do in their lives as well. I'm going to ask you to find an elder in our church or a pastor in our church and get a hold of them and confess that sin to them. If you confess your sin in secret, it will come back to you in the light. If you confess your sin in secret, it's going to come back to you in the light. You confess your sin publicly to the elders in light. And that sin will be out of you not to return. Can I encourage you to consider that? And if you're listening to this message and you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, then friend, I want to tell you that you have never been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And there is no possibility of you being filled with him. Not right now. You are living by your own power. Surely you must be discovering how spiritually weak you really are. And right now, listen, I am witnessing to you. I am testifying to you of Jesus. Even right now in this message that you are hearing. And I'm telling you, there is forgiveness. There is salvation. There is life that awaits you at the cross of Jesus Christ. He died so that you could live, but you must come to him and surrender in faith. Can I encourage you to do that? If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, can I encourage you, come to him right now in prayer. There is no secret prayer. There is no formula that I could give you to pray. Just be honest and surrender to him and say, Jesus I believe that you died for me and I am in need of being forgiven. I have sinned. I have sinned against you and I have sinned against others. And I have no way to repair this. But I believe you can. And I am giving you my life and I'm asking that you take it 
and you save me and give me a reason to live. Give me a purpose to live and let the Spirit of God baptize me, seal me, regenerate me, give me new life and fill me so that I can live this life very differently than how I have. I can live this life for you. Friends, we're going to be looking at what happens next with these spirit-filled believers. And all through Acts, you're going to watch the gospel, the good news of Jesus, go to the end of the earth, going from one person to another. And it is incredibly exciting. But this is the origin story of the church. This is the day they were baptized with the Spirit. This is the day they began their life of being continuously filled with the Spirit. And God gave them through the Spirit the power to testify of Him. And you're going to see next week, Lord willing, just how powerful that is. Can I invite you to come back for that? Let me pray for you as I close. Father, I thank you for this passage. And Lord, I thank you that you have emboldened us, Lord, that you have given us encouragement as Christians to truly understand that we have already been baptized with the Spirit. And Lord, now we live a life of being continuously filled and like a balloon, we are being enlarged more and more and given more opportunities and more power to be able to be witnesses of Jesus Christ, more power to be victorious over sin, more power to turn away from living for our own selves and living for your glory. Father, sin will deflate the balloons of our hearts. It will rob us of the power of the Spirit of God. And Lord, there are some of us that need to look very, very deeply and very, very closely and very, very honestly because we've gotten to the point where we have learned to overlook it and justify it and rationalize it and ignore it. But there is sin in there and it is robbing us of the Spirit's power. So Father, I pray that every one of us, as you illuminate as you reveal as you show us this sin lord that we will not be stubborn that we will not justify we will not rationalize lord that you will convict us and we will confess it to you father i pray that we would take it to a godly leader in the church and we will invite that godly leader to pray for us so that sin does not get back to our hearts And Lord, for anybody that might be watching this or listening to this and have realized that they are not even a believer, Lord, may this be the day the Bible says, today is the day of their salvation. Lord, may this day be when they turn to you and surrender in faith and ask for you to forgive them of their sin, to give them life. And Father, may they enjoy the power that the Spirit of God will give them as the Spirit of God dwells in them. We ask for that for your glory and for your honor, and for your name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless Cornerstone. Lord willing, we'll see you even next week. Cornerstone family, I want to uh, end this time with a special bulletin announcement, so to speak. Uh, This weekend is our final weekend at Lopat Park. It has been so great. We've had so many people gathering, so many new families coming. 
And uh, it's been a joy to celebrate our God and worship our God together. And we have missed that so much in these months of COVID. But now, starting the following weekend, next weekend, we're going to be back to our building, back to our own campuses. And I want to remind you again that we are truly wanting to honor, even if it's difficult, and it is, but we want to honor our authorities uh, in this government. And the government has reminded us and asked each one of us to wear a mask and to be careful around each other. And I know some of you feel really strongly against that, and some of you feel really strongly for that. What I just want to remind you is, come on, let's be the church. Let's not let this mask issue divide us. Let's not let it prevent us from gathering together. We're better than that. We are the church. We are Cornerstone, and we have strived hard to maintain unity and to preach the gospel and we want to encourage you to come and be part of that. We're going to start next week with a full array of children's ministries as well as nursery. Uh, all the way up to our children. They're going to be with us during the worship portion and released just like we normally have done through the preaching time of it. So we want to encourage you with young families, with young children, bring them out. And, um, and those children will be wearing a mask as well. And the teachers, of course, will be wearing a mask. So I want to encourage you, Cornerstone. Let's come on out. Let's worship together. Even if you've not been coming, may next week be the week that you rejoin us. And again, taste the power of celebrating our God together. It is incredible. And it is something that we're going to miss as we gather it all together at Lopat. But it's going to be sweet even in our campuses. So God bless. I hope to see you all next week.